I get the privilege of sharing God's word, and we actually get to start a brand new sermon series called Lost and Found. And I'm really excited to be doing that. So, so let me just preface this. I, I, I just want to tell you guys a story. And um, so several months ago, we're, we're locked in. We're in the middle of the pandemic. We're taking things like really, really, really seriously uh, at that point. We hadn't seen Crystal's uh, grandparents in quite some time. And so I think it was sometime in July or August time frame. We go down to the city. We pick her up. And we take a, they're with us for what, like a week? Um, and then we take a trip to Washington, D.C. Uh, and on that trip, um, we got to, as we always do, this is like a, uh, um, a tradition for us. If we're, we, we might take a day trip to D.C. or if we're headed down to Florida, we always stop at Washington, D.C. without fail. Why? Because I need to drive to Florida. I do not have the privilege of getting on a plane with a, a five-family Five people on a plane, little kids on a plane. It's not a good look at all. As a matter of fact, whenever I do get on a plane that I have no choice, we are literally in the back row. That's <laughs> because we don't want any issues at all. And now that we're having a sixth member uh, to our family, which is totally uncharted territory for my entire family, because my mom had three kids, and Crystal's mom and dad had three kids, so, you know, we're, added, we're adding into that fourth waters. Nobody has been here before, so it's going to be interesting. At this point, we're going to have more children than we have arms. And, uh, and so it's going to be really interesting to navigate uh, these waters. So we always stop in D.C. Why? Because it's, it's for us, we, I love history. It really kind of motivates me. And there is also something in D.C., that I absolutely love. If you've never had them before, you are missing out on life. We love Georgetown cupcakes, okay, or DC cupcakes. If you've ever had them before, they have like a little spot in New York City. They are the best cupcakes in the entire world. They're the, I'm serious, best cupcakes in the entire world. So we kind of go and we stop. So we always visit the outside of the White House and the White House kind of that park that they have there in front of the White House. And, um, but this time was a little bit different. We, we decided that we were going to walk over to Capitol Hill. And uh, I'd never been to Capitol Hill before. So we walked on Capitol Hill. There's this huge, massive park in front of it. We, they were actually setting the stage for the inauguration that was going to be happening months uh, prior to that. And they were doing some remodeling on the outside of Capitol Hill. And we decided that we were going to visit a place that is really, really special. And I don't say this just because I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm saying this comparison to secular things, too. I want you to know that the Museum of the Bible is hands down the best museum on the face of the planet. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like the level of technology, dedication, and care, the level of knowledge that is in that place, it is amazing. It is worth a trip to Washington, D.C. just to take you, your family, and your children there. It is absolutely amazing. So we go to the Museum of the Bible, and in the Museum of the Bible, there is a, an entire uh, gallery portion that is dedicated to the Bibles of the presidents. All right, Bibles that presidents were sworn um, in on. Um, now, I don't, I don't, I'm not advocating for anybody or advocating for p- political uh, 
thing here. I just don't do that. You'll never find me doing that. I'm not interested in that because I don't think that this is the place for that. And I don't hold you to it if that's what you want to do in your home. But they had all these Bibles from all these various presidents. I don't know if you know this or not, but actually the Bible that our last president, the 45th president, President Trump, was sworn in on is actually a, a Welch Bible that was given to him. It was a, a Bible that was used by a revivalist, okay, somebody who preached revivals in, uh, in, in, um, in the UK. And so all these different stories, you're reading up on all these different stories. Well, there, there's a Bible that's there that's kind of unique. Uh, it's called the Jefferson Bible. Now, Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States, and he actually took a unique approach to the Bible. He actually was not a believer in Jesus as the resurrected son of God, but he had a high regard for Jesus's moralistic teachings. So Jefferson, what he did, he actually took a pair of scissors and he cut out the verses of the Bible that he agreed with and, and, and then he goes and he creates his own personal 46-page Bible by pasting the verses he agreed with into a new book called the Jefferson Bible. Jefferson's Bible actually ends with these words. This is the very last words, the very last verse in his Bible. There they laid Jesus and rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. End the story. Jesus is dead. Jesus is buried. Thank you for your great teachings. And yet you, you kind of hear that and you think, man, how in the world could somebody cut out an entire section of God's word just because they didn't disagree with that? Why would he just pick and choose if, if he agreed with it, it would make it into his Bible. If he disagreed with it, it ended up on the cutting room floor. And you kind of look at that and you're like, how can somebody do something like that? But I want to tell you, there are many people, good people, who are trying to follow Jesus, and they do the exact same thing. You don't like it, and so you pick and choose what you're going to follow based on what you think God must be like or what you wish was true about God. You say, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, so this verse got to go. A loving God will never allow that to happen, so I can't keep this verse. Or this, this, That's not reasonable to follow in today's world. Or, or you know what? That's sin. That really isn't sin. They, they, you should be able to, whoever, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, no problem. Go ahead, do it. No way I'm giving God any of my finances. Cut that one out. Well, I don't believe in that. That doesn't, the verse, that doesn't make the cut. Man, I have had, throughout my ministry, I've had numerous encounters with people who disagree with something I said. And when I show them the passage in the Bible, their response is, well, I just don't believe that. Or, or I can't believe that God is really like that. And my, my, my thinking is, really, how do you decide which parts of the Bible to believe and which parts to reject? How do you decide which commands of Jesus apply to you and which are the product of an unreasonable God? You follow some of God's instructions and then you ignore the ones that you don't like. And then you wonder, how in the world did things turn out the way that they did? 
You ignore God's commands about sex and then wonder how your relationships end in such messes. You ignore God's command about gossip and conflict resolution and then you wonder why there are so many broken relationships and friendships that you've had. You ignore God's commands about finances and then wonder why is your business tanking, your job is being lost, and your finances are in disarray. Somehow we have missed the connection here. And it's dangerous. When you pick and choose, the Bible becomes a negotiable document for you. God, I wish some of you would fight for the word of God the way you fight for the Constitution. You manipulate God's word to your preference and your desire so that you can be a happy, guilt-free, and comfortable life. And then we even claim to be living for God in that process. Then when you encounter inevitable problems in your life, you turn right around and you question the God that you've created in your preferred image. Now, I just want to let you know, in case you didn't know it, now you know it. I'm a strict believer in God's word. And I've got a lot of thoughts and I've got a lot of opinions, but I want to share this with you this morning. I never want to elevate those thoughts and those opinions above the word of God. The word of God is our guidebook for living, not some of the book, the whole book. And in this series, we're going to talk about attitudes, actions, and values that I think are missing in today's church. Now, I, I, I want to admit to you that I'm hesitant to begin this series on the topic of suffering this morning. The church has been very reluctant to talk about suffering because we have been taught by people, listen to me, I really have a problem with this. I, I will commission you to the word. I will commission you to become a preacher of God's word. I don't have a problem, but one thing that I need from anybody and everybody who wants to preach God's word is you've got to go to school. That is no ifs, ands, or buts with me because I've seen too much flagrant nonsense come from people who are calling themselves pastors who are saying they are ordained and called of God but they've not done any study of God's word and so they throw out anything that comes into their mind out there to God's people and so we say things like God wants that Lamborghini to be in your driveway God wants you to have that beautiful home God wants you to have the white picket fence God never wants you to suffer God wants you to have the greatest level of finances in your bank account ever and we have turned our world into a health and wealth and prosperity gospel does God bless yes God blesses but there is something that is amiss when we are preaching things like this in America, while our African and Asian brothers and sisters are suffering persecution, are dying for their faith, are living in huts, and have their, the ground that they walk on, the churches that they worship in, are not air-conditioned, but there's mud on the floor. But yet we, who have nice cushion seats, who have air-conditioning, who have heat, who arrive here on a rainy day in nice cars have a problem even getting here to church. This is not the attitude. The attitude we have in America is not the attitude of the church in other parts of the world where persecution and suffering are common. Our gospel is literally unique to the American church. Many years ago, I want you to know this, many years ago when this church started, people who attended here faced pressure and persecution. Y'all need to know that. Did you know that? Now you do. 
little history for the church. Why? Because they were this. They were different. They believed that God can do miracles. They believed that the word of God had not ceased to be true. They believed that signs and wonders can accompany the preaching of God's word. They believed in speaking in tongues as the spirit of God enabled them. And they were different from what had been in existence and what was traditional around. So they were looked at as the crazy Pentecostals. All those church, you go to that church, you swing from the chandeliers. Those people are crazy up in there. Those people are nuts. You go into one of those churches, they love tapping that little tambourine. Oh my God, would you believe that in that church, they allow people to play the guitar? And they play drums inside that church. Can you believe that? What a disrespect to the word of God. People were literally shunned and ridiculed for even coming into this place to worship. But that didn't stop them. They kept on coming. Later on, in, in, throughout time, the church became accepted. It became accepted in our town. Not just this church in specific, but all across America. Culture shifted. Now, during that time period, it became popular to follow Jesus. It became popular to attend churches. Huge crowds would fill stadiums to listen to preachers like Billy Graham. The church no longer faced pressure and persecution. Even our government began to institute laws that reflected that. But now our times have changed. Now more people don't attend church than do. Now faith and high standards of holiness are under attack. And in many instances, there are laws that seem to be designed to make it difficult for Christians to follow the convictions of their faith. Now, I'm not predicting or prophesying anything, but the trajectory of America leads me to believe that there is more persecution that is coming for the church. Followers of Jesus who have cut passages on persecution and suffering from their Bible and their life, they're going to be in trouble. Whether you want to or not, we've got to talk about this because we, as the church, we have lost our theology of suffering and it is time to find it. We need to be ready when hard time comes. Now I want to look with you at 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter. This is a letter from Peter to the church in what is now known as Turkey. And in that area, Christianity was not yet illegal, but it was becoming difficult for Christians to be followers of Jesus. Peter more than likely is writing this letter from the church in Rome. So he's in Rome writing this letter where Roman Christians up until that point were suffering horribly. They were being burned at the stake. They were being tortured and killed. And looking ahead, Peter was trying to prepare the church in Turkey to live for Jesus in spite of the pressure, in spite of the ridicule, in spite of the persecution. Now, just a, a, just a, a quick little bit of information here. There are 105 verses in 1 Peter. 47 of them deal with suffering. That's 45%, almost half of the entire book. And if you want to cut out suffering from your Bible, you would literally have to rip out half of this book. Looking at portions from Peter's letter, I want to prepare you to respond to persecution, hardship, and suffering in a way that advances the kingdom and demonstrate your faith. So we're going to start in... 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says this. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is being, keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have, all, have it all, life healed and whole, 
I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation. This is reading from the message. The NIV says, suffer grief. It says, in the meantime, pure gold put in the fire comes out of it, proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that will evidence not your gold that God will have on display as evidence of the victory. Peter said, in the meantime, in other words, for a little while, while you're here on earth, you may suffer. But when Jesus comes again, it will be worth it. Because there might be suffering here, but there will be victory there. Well, if, if we're ultimately going to have victory, why would God permit suffering? Well, I want you to stay with me. Realize that suffering is often what leads to victory. Think about this for a second. There would be no Easter if there was no crucifixion. There would be no empty tomb to celebrate unless there was a cross of suffering. Think about this for a second. Every person that Jesus healed in scripture, it started out with their suffering. Every miracle, sign, and wonder, and place of healing that you find in scripture and find in the body of Christ started with a dilemma. It started with a moment of suffering. So look at what Peter says. He says, genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. Anyone can live for God when things are good. The true test of faith is how you respond when things aren't going good. Everyone, let me tell you, everyone is watching to see if your faith is going to sustain you during tough times. Suffering, though, suffering proves your faith is genuine. It doesn't just prove it to God, it proves it to you. Most importantly, it proves it and serves as a testimony to the people around you. Time out, pause for a second. I saw this meme going around, and I'm not, I don't know if anybody here posted it, so I'm not investigating your Facebook. But in the middle of the pandemic, I saw this, this meme that was written down. And it said, don't hold your friends to account for not being with you through this, for not suffering with you during this pandemic. Because we're all going through this together and each one is facing our own battles. I thought to myself, oh dang, when I need a friend is when there's suffering. You're telling me I can't count on my friends when, when, when the world is on fire? That's when I need my friends, when the world is on fire, when things are difficult. That's when I need you. Now, let me tell you, there's a lot of statistics that are going on out there that says that there are a lot of people that were attending church prior that will not come back to church after coronavirus is over. And you're saying, oh, my God, no, COVID killed their faith. No, COVID just exposed something that was already going on prior to the pandemic. There was already a death, dying, decaying, rotting faith inside of them. The pandemic just exposed it. People that don't come back is because they were already in positions in their heart that things weren't settling right in their heart for them, that their faith wasn't alive before the pandemic even happened. And you're saying, well, I'm here. Well, I'm saying that's great because that proves something. That in difficult moments, you're willing to sustain your faith. 
you're willing to go through difficult moments. I'm, I'm not here to find out if your Christianity works when your vehicle is fine, your house is good, and nothing has broken down on you. I'm here to find out, does your Christianity work in the middle of a financial crisis, in the middle of a health pandemic that threatens your life and your health? Is that the moment where you'll choose and say, hey, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. I, I, and I'm not saying you need to be here in person for that to happen. But I'm saying that you need to maintain a connectivity with us, whether that is online or through any other means. Maintaining that connection, it means I'm not just going to stay home and bug out on God's word. I'm not just going to stay home and cease to be a Christian for an entire year until we get everybody inoculated or this virus leaves. It's to say I'm going to maintain my connection with God's people through the most difficult moment, whether that's in person or whether that's online. I'm going to maintain that connection. And if you're not maintaining that connection and you're tuning in for the first time in six months, I'm here to tell you, I love you, I care for you, and we welcome you back home, but there's some stuff that you need to fix in your life. Because things are not going right. Your faith is proved in times of difficulty. Your faith is proved in times where there is suffering. Y'all want to know how they find out if your tires are good tires? Yeah, you ever seen those warranties when you go purchase tires, 65,000 miles, 35,000 miles, whatever. Want to know what they do? They take that tire, they strap it to a machine, they put all sorts of pressure tests on it. They puncture that tire over and over and over again, and they put several, they rotate that tire over and over again until it reflects a certain level of mileage to see how much they can continue to go until that tire wears down. You do not want to purchase a tire that has not been through that test. You want to purchase something that's quality, that you know has endured a difficulty. It's the same thing in our lives. Our faith is proven, not when we're cruising and when it's all good. Don't tell me how good your snow tire is in the middle of the summer. Tell me what it looks like and how good it works in, when there's three feet of snow outside and you're hustling to make it somewhere. I want you to understand this. It's not just Christians that suffer. Everyone suffers. That's part of living in a sin-filled world. But when a sinner suffers, they have no hope. And often in that time, they have the opportunity to turn to Jesus. It's why many of you have turned your hearts to Christ during this moment. But when fakers, people who pretend to have faith but don't live it, suffer, then they act like sinners. They go ragged. When a true follower of Jesus suffers, their faith is proved genuine. Look at what Peter says in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 19. He says, there's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. If you suffer because of your own sin and mistakes, I just want you to know this. I'm going to give you a prophetic word from the Lord. That's called cause and effect. I want you to understand that. Ready? There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. In other words, stop applauding yourself and you're saying you're going through persecution when it was your stupidity that got you to the consequences that you're living in right now. Come on, church. Things go wrong as a consequence of foolish and sinful behavior. Peter says if that happens, you deserve it, Poppy. He says this, but if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it 
to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. I want to read that to you again. This is in the Bible. It's in God's Word. This is the kind of life you've been invited to, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. Ooh. Jesus' life is an instructional manual in suffering. And you might say, well, I bet, Pastor Tom, I need to hear that in the King James Version just to, I want to know what it says in the King James Version. All right, y'all ready? It says this, for this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Time out. Somebody get me a scissor. Let's cut this baby out. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Woo! To this you were called, you called me to suffer? Now, for security reasons, I can't tell you the location or use real names, but I want to share with you some stuff that is going on in the Muslim world right now, where a decision to follow Jesus always involves suffering. I've heard stories throughout my ministry of horrible persecution, punishment that people have endured for following Jesus, beatings to the point of death, paralysis, one man whose skull was split open, one woman who was raped in front of her family. This is the story of the wife of a Christian man who was horribly beaten. And she actually coined a phrase that is very popular among the Christians in that community. And she calls persecution a tax on her faith. Now, let me just explain. In their country, there's a 17.5% sales tax figured into everything you buy. So when you buy a loaf of bread, they don't add the tax at the register. It's just naturally part of the price. So when she calls suffering a tax on her faith, here's what she meant. Persecution and suffering are just part of faith. It's part of the price we pay for following Jesus. Three months ago, Amani accepted Jesus. Somehow her neighbors found out that she was being baptized. This is a true story, by the way. They told the mosque and sent a group of young men. And they beat the man who was baptizing Amani, and then they stoned her. The man lost some teeth, and among Amani's many injuries was a broken hip. The village was angry that Amani had become a follower of Jesus, but she was a good person. And everyone liked her, so they went as a group to the mosque and demanded that the leaders of the mosque apologize. After Amani got out of the hospital, the sheikhs gave in to the pressure and apologized for what they had done. And they told her this, we're going to pay the doctor's bills in the hospital and everything that it costs for your treatment. And Amani responded to them and said, no. He says, I forgive you. I love you. But that's the tax on my faith. I get to pay that. You can't pay that for me. The whole community saw how she forgave and accepted a broken hip with peace and love and how she wouldn't allow the Muslims to pay the tax on her faith. Peter says to us, hey, guess what? You're going to be treated bad for doing good. In fact, that's part of the deal when you follow Jesus. Now, that doesn't promote well, does it? Right? Can you imagine Facebook ad? 
Welcome to Risen King Church. Come and gather with us where we will suffer together. Oh, isn't that a great opening line for the folks in our Connections Cafe or, or our ushers to greet you and say, hey, I'm delighted to have you here. We're going to have some really great times. But oh yeah, part of the deal is that we are going to suffer really greatly together. Now let's fill out that Connections card. Get you connected to the church. Some of you right now in your head, you're listening to this message. Now you're, you're really struggling because it's challenging perhaps something that you've always believed. And you say, wait a second, God promised me a better life. And, and my answer to that is, yes, he did. But the better life he promised isn't the life that you're living right now. We've mistaken earth for heaven. While we live on earth, suffering's part of the deal. Peter wrote about how Jesus responded to suffering and persecution at the cross. Let's read it together. He says, he never did one thing wrong. Not once did anything amiss. We need to learn from the example of Jesus. When you suffer, do what's right. And that's not our natural response. Because if someone does something wrong to you, you're like, man, I want to retaliate. I want to pay. They made me suffer. I want to make them suffer even more. And we're seeing a lot of that in our nation right now. I want to tell you, I rebuke that spirit that is not Christ-like. If I let your evil keep me from doing right, my faith is invalidated. I have no testimony to present to the world. Even when others say and do wrong, and especially when others say and do wrong, we are called as Christians to do what is right, to follow the example of Christ. Ready? They called him every name in the book, and he said what? Nothing back. He suffered in silence. When you're persecuted and people have nasty things to say about you, don't respond. Pastor Tom, if I don't respond, I'll look weak. No, 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 no. You'll just look like Jesus, whose example you're following. It says he suffered inside. I love this. I love this. Ready here? Can, can y'all read this with me? Let's read it out. Content to let God set things right. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Jesus was able to stay silent because he had confidence in the Heavenly Father. When we face persecution and suffering, I want to encourage you. We need to trust God. Now, I know that sounds very cliche, that's, but that's exactly what a preacher should be saying. We need to trust God, but I'm telling you, trust God. God. And you say, well, how can they get away with it? It's not right. We got to do something. We got to go fight. We've got to protest. And I'm here to tell you, God will handle it. Of course, I want God to handle it. But what if he doesn't handle it quick enough, pastor? God will set things right. Trust God. You say, well, well, that makes no sense at all. How in the world will doing what's right, not responding and trusting God, help me share my faith? I'm glad you asked that question. Peter answers that question in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. He says this. He says, if with heart and soul you're doing good, do you think you can be stopped? Even if you suffer for it, you're still better off. Don't give the opposition a second thought. Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention and adoration before Christ your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always with the utmost courtesy, keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing that they're the ones 
who need a bath. It's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to be punished for doing bad. When you keep your heart tender and your conscience clear before God and do what's right, look what happens. Things people say about you, they don't stick. The very people who accuse you will realize they're the ones who need to have a change of heart. And on top of that, you're going to have an opportunity to speak and answer everyone who tries to figure out why you responded in peace instead of going to war for the things that they said. See, the right response to suffering, it creates opportunities. When you don't retaliate, you get an opportunity to share your faith. There is kingdom gain for it. Now, we as the church, we've adjusted the agenda of God to fit the agenda of our world. But you need to know his agenda is always far beyond ours. His goal is eternity. So I have to ask you a question that is going to challenge your faith this morning. How much suffering is one soul worth? If suffering creates an opportunity for you to share your faith with someone who has previously been close to the gospel, is the suffering worth it? Would God allow you to suffer so your response to suffering could bring someone else to him. Would God do that? And you said, Pastor, my idea of God, my thought of God, is he so good? He'd never let that happen. But he did. And it's called the cross. I'm thankful for the cross. It was ugly, painful, horrible, gruesome, and gory, but it's beautiful because it provided for our salvation. Remember, Jesus' suffering is your victory. Chapter 4, verse 19 of 1 Peter says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Time out. The Bible says that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We've cut out whole portions of the Bible because they don't sit well. He says, if you suffer according to God's will, you've been taught, perhaps, that when you suffer, something's wrong with you. You've got sin in your life, or maybe you don't have enough faith. You've been taught a loving God would never allow you to suffer. But Peter in the Bible said it may even be God's will when you go through moments of suffering. Why? So people will see the good in you and have an opportunity to share and partake in your faith. I want you to understand suffering doesn't mean you have missed the will of God. Ready? I'm about to go into a serious rap and rhyme right now. Don't let super spiritual, self-righteous, Bible-clipping, easy-living, convenient Christians make you feel guilty when things go wrong in your life. Peter finishes his letter on persecution and suffering in chapter 5. He says, you're not the only ones plunged into these same hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. I want you to know that 74% of the world's population live in a country where social hostilities involving religion and faith are high. 64% of the world live in places where government restricts religion. Now, I understand that you might be worried about restrictions on religious freedoms here in America, that we're concerned about government and politics, and that we might be frightened about what is next. But I want you to know that when this letter was written, the church in Turkey was hearing stories 
of how bad things were getting in Rome and how Christians were being burned at the stake. And Peter says to them, you ain't the only ones that are going through hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. He says, so keep a firm grip on your faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before the generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. In the end, we win. You can suffer victoriously because suffering won't last forever. One day soon we believe Jesus will return. And God will have the ultimate last word. And on that day, you aren't going to be griping or complaining about suffering. On that day, it will be worth it all. Let me share with you something as I invite our team to come up. I'll share with you a few messages. Several years ago, we had the I had the opportunity to travel into Israel. And the whole point of this particular uh, trip to Israel was not just a touristic trip. It was actually a trip to bring peace and healing. And so while we were there, we met with Jewish believers. And we also met with uh, Palestinian believers. And it was great. It was an awesome time. And one of the most gut-wrenching things that I heard when I was over there was how many times an Assembly of God church in Palestine had been bombed and destroyed and reduced to rubble four times. It had been bombed four times. They reconstructed it over and over again. And four times they would demonstrate the love of Jesus to their neighbors. Powerful. I want to encourage you to get this book. I'd love to show this one of these nights in the church. There's a very, very powerful book and documentary series that was done on one of our missionaries to Turkey. His name is Stan. And um, the book and the documentary are called Dying Out Loud. Um, Stan was a missionary to Turkey. And while he was over there, he really couldn't break in and break through into the Islamic culture. It took him years that he had been there and he, he just wasn't able to break through. But people saw their kindness. He would actually go into the mosque and have conversations with people and talk with people on the streets. So because his name was Stan and that was close to the Turkish Satan, which means Satan, they actually decided to change his name, his Muslim friends. So they called him Isa. If you know anything about that part of the world, Isa is the name Jesus in their language. So they believe that he was such an embodiment of Christ that they actually called him Isa. While Stan was over there, he was having difficulties in his health. And he ended up going to the doctor. And when he came home, um, they gave him the results that he had a massive brain tumor that was inoperable and he had only six months to live. The Assemblies of God hearing that offered to bring him back from Turkey here to America so that he could live out his days here and he chose not to. And he said this, he goes, I want my death to be a testimony to these Muslims on how to die well in Christ. And so he stood there. 
He goes, I want to die out loud for them. And so they watched him as he ministered to them through his tumor, knowing that his diagnosis was terminal. I want you to realize that this is literally incredible. The night that Stan dies, there is an Islamic celebration that occurs that night that where Muslims globally believe that God is, that heaven is closer to the earth than at any other night of the year. This is literally the night that Stan dies. So when he dies, not only the way he lived, but his death served as a testimony because these Muslim folks began to say, wow, this man was sent from God to us. His wife made a decision that she would not leave the missionary field. That she would continue on as a missionary to the Turkish people. As a result of Stan's death, many people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And they actually began Bible studies in their homes with new Christians. And they're beginning churches together. Dying Out Loud is the documentary. It's the book. We need to learn to suffer well. Suffering will inevitably come. It, it will happen in our lives. We just have to learn to suffer well, to suffer in Christ, so that we can be a testimony and raise a standard that, hey, Jesus is victorious even in my pain, even in my suffering. Jesus is victorious, not just in good times, not just when the bank account is full. But Jesus is good all the time. And his goodness reigns even through our moments of difficulty and suffering. So would you join me in a time of worship? And then I'm going to come back up and we're going to reflect in prayer. And we're going to ask God to really kind of change our hearts so that we kind of get a good grasp, a good idea that says, you know what, no matter what happens, Lord, no matter what difficult moments happen in our lives, we are going to learn to suffer well and to suffer in community and family with each other so that we could be a good support system to each other. Let's worship the King.